The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Folks, gather around. Come on in. It's time for another one-upsmanship. I'm your host, Michael Swaim, and there's another one. That's right. There's a second one. Say hey. Hey, he's me, Adam Ganser, second host. Glad to be here. Privy be unto you, Adam Ganser. Thank and you. Um, sometimes we have a guest, sometimes we don't on this show. But here to discuss video games today with us is you guessed it this time yes a third person indeed please introduce yourself our very special guest i am jason pargin i've been on the show a couple times before i used to write under the pseudonym david wong back in the crack.com days when these guys also worked there uh i'm getting my book plug in right at the top in the <laughs> iHeartRadio era please this is how I'm changing it. It. Uh, i wrote a novel called john dies at the end that got turned into a movie that's the thing I'm probably most known for. The next book in that series is up for pre-order now. It is called If This Book Exists, You're in the Wrong Universe. And you can just go to any bookseller and type that in and it will it will come up or your local your local bookstore. But more relevant to this show, I have been playing video games for 43 years since I was four years old and my parents bought us a Pong console. And <laughs> despite that, or possibly because of that, I have very strange opinions on video games. Some of the most beloved games of all time, I hated, and vice versa. <laughs> what was the Let's, second? Um, what was the second game you got after Pong? Like, what? When, and when was that? Well, Pong came with uh, like a Horizon battery of. West. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not played any games in between. Uh, I have been playing that for forty-three years. Um, it, like Pong came with a battery of, of like. Tennis, ping pong, like a I bunch see. of metaphors for a block that bounces a, another block back and forth. And then after that, at some point, we got an Atari 2600 
and that just blew my mind because oh, you sure. could actually mm-hmm. see people and do stuff and yeah, games that now are like the most infamous horrible games of all time. At the time, I was like, oh my god, I- I'm controlling ET, <laughs> I'm making them do things because you, you didn't know. Like you know, you're you're six years old or whatever I would have been at the time. Amazing. That's so Gosh, good. what a time. It really is. Uh, all right, so passing our first checkpoint, because we were on a tight ship now that we're with iHeart. We uh, really do. Yeah, My mandate, which, they've sent some harsh I lo- memos. I was going to say, they've, <laughs> they've sent some memos. They've made it clear. I, they've had people knock on my door, which I thought was a bit much, and said, you know. 60% less on nonsense. Form, on the rails. Yeah, yeah. A, a, hey, a podcast, podcast cannot show. be meandering. Like, you can't just <laughs> laugh about Podcast listeners no. do not tolerate that. so that brings us to our first segment we've squatted by a fire and lost consciousness for a few moments in order to freeze a point in space time that we can now return to Mm. um a power that we never mentioned but most video game characters have nowadays uh and this segment is now called tell me like i'm 8-bit and in Tell Me Like I'm 8-bit I hesitated you know just for effect not because I forgot the name of the segment (laughs) um and tell me like I'm 8-bit, Adam. Listen up. This is I'm the listening. fun part. I'm ready. Our vaunted, our much vaunted guest, kindly if they would, uh, explains the game in, in simple brass tacks terms to someone who, some theoretical straw man who has only played Pong and E.T. Someone who's not, like, let's, let's even throw out Zero Dawn. So, Jason, if you would, um, what are the important takeaways of Horizon Forbidden West if you're starting from scratch? Tell me like I made bit. Yes, proceeding with this explanation with Joe Rogan-esque efficiency. <laughs> the, the, these games, this one, as you mentioned, is the second game. First one was called Horizon Zero Dawn. This is Horizon Forbidden West. So I guess Horizon is the name of the franchise? For, for some reason, I guess but so. the word Horizon so. does not come up in the games. But it doesn't matter. It's an open world game in which you play Aloy, a woman with spectacular hair, who <laughs> exists in a complete ecosystem, this vast area of robotic animals. Some of them are gigantic. Each machine is kind of designed after some real world creature in our world, from elephants to Tyrannosaurus rexes. And they are kind of wandering the landscape, interacting with each other. You, as part of the primary gameplay loop, you must hunt these machines for parts. And that creates what is the most unique part of these games, which is that each machine is made up of a bunch of components. They're all fully animated and they function together like a machine. And you can remove them with attacks. And as you remove different parts, it changes how the machine behaves. So the entire strategy of fighting some huge creature is this big, complex, multi-stage process where you may, for example, if it's capable of digging underground to hide from you, it has a specific limb that lets it dig. You can hit that with an arrow or some weapon, blow it off, and now it can't dig anymore. But it may switch to some other attack that you like even less. So you have to think through, and it adds tons and tons of variety to the combat. All of this, including the environment, is rendered in graphics so amazing that to me, I think they look a generation ahead of any other game I've played. I think I thought that that about Horizon uh, Zero Dawn, I think the same thing about this one. There's not another game on my PlayStation 5 that looks like this, anything like this. And he's this. played many iterations of Pong, so... <laughs> he's seen it all. <laughs> um, yeah, back back when the games, the graphics were in your imagination, and, and now it's... 
they can actually show it to you. But the game is set in a post-apocalypse about a thousand years into the future, but it's not a post-apocalypse where everything is gray and brown, which has always been my impression of like the Fallout games. This is uh, you get lush jungles and snowy mountain peaks and tropical beaches with waves that glint in the sunlight. It's a beautiful landscape, and everything about it is very striking to look at. Um, and then there's the story element of it is, and this is where I think my opinion is probably weirder than anyone else's. The story behind the Horizon games and the lore is one of my favorite science fiction stories in any medium. I in books, movies, uh, I I the whole backstory and as detailed as it is, and then the way. The whole like the societies that exist in the timeline of this game, humans a thousand years from now exist as like tribal societies coexisting with these very advanced robots, but they don't know how things got like that. So they developed all of this complex mythology that's wrong, but each of these tribes has like their own idea of how the world got that way. And they all have their own kind of like their own rituals and culture and all that. And that's kind of what you have to navigate in between when you are killing robots and stealing uh, parts from them. Ding, ding. I think. Yeah. Well, without the timer. Finish line tape breaking. Yeah. yeah, Without without... the timer, it's very formless. Mm, That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I do. um, I appreciate the brightness. I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I feel like it's more of a George Miller uh, post-apocalypse almost, like the creativity of a Mad Max universe. For example. Is that a George Miller? I think so. Yeah, for yeah, example, right. one thing that Fury Road did, so much of the yeah. storytelling about the culture in that world was done in the costume design yeah. and in the design of Absolutely. their homes, their rituals, the type of how they decorated their vehicles. It didn't. It wasn't verbally told to you. Well, in this game, all of the, like in these tribes, their warriors, their priests, they all decorate themselves with parts from these machines, and then the more like upper status they are in the tribe, the more rare the parts. And the costume design is fantastic because they've they've harvested these parts over time and then created this elaborate like jewelry and headdresses and everything. And nobody ever calls attention to it. It's something you just have to see. Um, and you can see how these people try to make themselves look very like powerful or imposing or whatever. And they're in some ways ridiculous, but in other ways, that's kind of what the game is about. It's about how like humanity rebuilds itself when it's totally cut off from its its history. Well, I'm going to immediately invite you to expand upon that because it's time for the next big swath or segment or chunk or hunk or help me out, Adam. A few more. We're not ready to move on from this yet. What are other synonyms? For, for, for Piece, chunk? Parts? Yeah, parcel. Uh, uh, parcel? Uh, acreage <laughs> of the podcast, which we call The Rants. No video game tie into the name. It's just The Rants. Oh, I, I feel and like that, that just betrays you haven't played enough Call of Duty, because you'll hear plenty of rants if you play enough Call of Duty. Oh, sir. sure. I just waded through video game <laughs> comment culture generally. <laughs> Um, they're no stranger to rants. So, uh, I think we'll do, should we do, I think we should actually let Jason go first I agree. this time. Cause he's kind of on a roll. I agree with that. So we freestyle the order of the rants sometimes. So, um, please expand upon that, Jason. Why is this such a fabulous sci-fi story? You said in any medium, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What are your sort of your more emotional, personal takes a, a capsule review if you will rather than telling someone who's never heard of it before what's up and uh you're player one in this scenario so if that affects your role play at all 
You're player one. Take it away. Lights dim. Curtain parts. <laughs> I, I went into last time we I was on here that I'm very careful to never phrase this is the best game ever made. I always have to phrase it as this is my favorite game or my least favorite because I have very particular tastes and I'm a very big believer in that different games hit different brains different ways. Um, like there's a lot of games that I perceive as having like addiction mechanics that I don't enjoy games that have like a bunch of different where they have like 10 different endings based on choices you made. I hate that. I hate thinking mm -hmm. that I'm going to miss nine out of the, out of the 10 endings where other people, that's what they live for. I'm not objectively right about that whatsoever. This is, so this game is these, this franchise is my favorite game franchise ever. Um, that I would never call it the best game ever made. Like the, the, some of the criticisms we're going to get into, particularly things like how they handled difficulty and not letting the player like solve things themselves. There, all those flaws are there, but it's kind of similar to if you talk to somebody who, what's some game people get obsessed with? Like Fallout New Vegas, like a game where people play it for a thousand hours. Sure. Where yeah, yeah. For Breath them, of the Wild. Breath of the Wild is yeah, or Skyrim, like like any Skyrim player, like it's Skyrim. like, oh yeah, I've got two thousand hours in Skyrim. It's my favorite game ever. And then if you ask them, well, are there any flaws in Skyrim? They will talk for the next two weeks <laughs> mm -hmm. about the millions of jank and stupid things that don't make sense. And oh yeah, one time I I failed a mission because I got caught in a doorway behind an NPC. Like they can go on and on and on about the flaws, but the game casts a spell on them in a way that it's like, I will forgive anything. This game, I love the look of it. I love spending time in this universe so much that I'm extremely forgiving of the flaws. Like the design of these creatures, the animals, all of them, and not just the way they're designed, but the way they move, the way they behave, the way they fight. I think it's legitimate, great art. Like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it exists. It's not just creature design. It's an entire ecosystem design and everything about the way they move, the way when they're wounded, you feel bad for them because they like start limping away and um, they get scared. And some different animals react different ways based on their disposition or, or whatever. Um, it, it's just I I love it so much. I, I like the main character. I like how Aloy is kind of a dick a little bit. <laughs> she, she's not patient with people. She's not humble. Um, but she's in it. It's the entire story. And like... Being an open world game, the curse of these games normally is is that you get, you know, probably, what, 200 missions if you add up story, side, collect, collection stuff. There's so many of them, particularly in like Ubisoft type games, are kind of just mindless and it's just something you're doing just to be doing. This game handles it more like The Witcher 3, where every mission pretty much has story attached to it. And it's usually got some sort of a either a funny or a flamboyant character or something that's interesting tied to what you're doing, to what you're collecting. And so and then the central driving point is that you are having to go from tribe to tribe, from culture to culture. And these people are farmers. These people are warriors. These people are metal workers and having to navigate like she needs something from them each time. She needs access to this piece of land or she needs this tool and they're going to make her do something. And she's always having to intervene in sort of some sort of political conflict or something. And it all ties to the central theme of like humanity trying to rebuild itself and the way we invent cultures to help us uh, 
survive in a hostile environment. Because the premise of this is it's a post-apocalypse, and due to the way it came about, like all record of history has disappeared, except for what you as the main character find and you piece things together. So everything about the story, the combat, just the environment hanging around it just plugs perfectly into my head. Like, I can't believe that this game isn't all anyone talks about all the time. I was shocked that Horizon Zero Dawn didn't spawn 30 imitations of that combat loop where you're taking parts off of enemies and then how you what you take off affects how they behave, including, like, possibly making them more aggressive. Like, if you do it, you know... And I never saw another game that that did that. I don't know if like the Monster Hunter games do. I don't. I don't play those. But I think they do. I, I, that's what I've Jason's heard. Jason's watching Ukraine news, being like, "Why not more Horizon footage? Yeah, why are we not <laughs> still talking not about talking Forbidden about West? This? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but like, for example, people who know the context of the follow games and gaming news, this game came out right at the same time as Elden Ring, and Elden Ring completely blew it off the front page. Like. Elden Ring is everybody yeah. I knew was playing Elden Ring as yeah. a full-time job. That is a game that does not appeal to me in the slightest. I've never seen one clip, one trailer, one screen grab, one gameplay video that for one second made that look like something, like a world I want to spend time in. I just don't want to spend time there. Anything you tell me about how sharp the combat is, all you know, how vast the, the map is, it doesn't mean anything. I don't, it's not a world I want to spend time in. It's a completely subjective thing. Yeah, that's fair. Whew. That's I think fair. I speak for a lot of our listeners and myself when I say when Jason's on, I he almost has like a gold blue mask quality. I just want to <laughs> listen to like I could let him go for the whole hour. Uh, but I got to I got to respond. Can I be player? Yes, two, please. Adam? I didn't want to go next. All right. Yeah, good. You didn't want to. No, go I want to go last. You'll see why. What? All right. <laughs> well, that's why. a fun little treasure. That's a fun little mystery box. Yeah. A little arc we can get paid off later. All right. So player two plugging in. Um, I just want to say, you know, sometimes here in One Upsville, we get jaded. We play a lot of games and we analyze those games. We're often discussing them uh, in comparison to the best games of all time and discussing whether something holds up to a pretty high bar, which in our mind has something to do with being a seminal influence, um, innovating a mechanic or system that is then influential or carried on, or just um, thought-provoking in some kind of artistic dialogue with the audience or commentary on interactive, you know, the, the interactive medium. And so I really appreciate when someone with almost a, a George Bailey-esque optimism about a game comes in and reminds me of what a miracle some elements that make this series unique are. For example, that, that we're only two in. Like, I'm not fatigued with this yet. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something I need to pause and cherish for the time being because I do agree that... Um, it's a fresh IP that really has a miraculous, captivating world. I 100%ed this game. I spent about 100 hours in it. And now I am playing Elden Ring like it's my full-time job. Uh, because it kind of is, because we'll be covering it later on this show. But um, but I will say Elden Ring doesn't come as naturally to me. So I'm, I'm more on the spectrum. I'm leaning towards Camp Jason where I fully understand being captivated by the positive elements of this world. Um, I think where this becomes a rant is that I do have issues with what I perceive to be ways that it didn't live up to the potential I had in my head. And I need to 
I need to huddle up with my game bros and figure out whether that's a discordance in my soul or something that actually speaks to uh, the execution of the game. Because I do have problems with this game. I, I feel like the very thing that is so revolutionary about it, I'll put it this way. Well, Adam and I covered the first one. Yes, we did. And we both famously on this podcast <laughs> put our reputations completely on the line by saying we're not going to keep this one. And if you're a longtime listener, you know what I mean by keep. Uh, <laughs> put it on the celestial hard drive of games that we enshrine as the best of all time or the most important of all time. And uh, we said we aren't going to keep this, but we'll probably keep the sequel. And I'm very curious to see if that's true, because that that means that it's in some way lived up to something that we were th expecting from it, that we thought it would do. And I don't know if anticipation is the best way to interact with art, because if I go into a movie expecting too much out of it, uh, it often fails to deliver, right? And a game can be the same thing. But that's all a long caveat before I say that I found the combat to have serious problems, mm. and I'm excited to talk about them. Mm. But they also deeply trouble me. I'm troubled by the combat problems in the game. And I thought with the brilliance of the systematic view of enemies and enemies as a collection of parts that fall apart, um, I think you could perfect that even further. I don't know. I, I don't I have problems. All right. I want to hear from Adam. Cool. I can elucidate that in more detail, but I actually just want to get to the meat of the thing. So I'm going to stop my rant there. Pipe sound, pipe sound. And Adam, take us away. Okay. Player three, Adam Ganser plugging in. So look, uh, I agree with every descriptor that Jason made of this game, but I didn't really like this game that much. And I wanted to. Uh, I really wanted to like it, and uh, I just kind of thought it was good, but not amazing. Now, here's things I will say that are amazing about it. It's the best-looking game I've ever seen, far and away. Are there better-looking games out there? Maybe, but I haven't seen them. Like, the world is incredible. The intricate design is incredible. Uh, the the I'm going to call them costumes, but they're not really costumes. Glad we talked about costume design. Yeah, costume designs. The outfits are like not only the outfits you can get, but the outfits just on a random person out in the field somewhere are all just astounding. They're so cool. Um, so the attention to detail in yeah, general is yeah. astonishing. Like it's clearly through a gigantic number of staff. Absolutely. Time. Like this game had a giant budget. Absolutely. And to add to that, the, the acting and the motion capture, like as in like the, the cinematic quality of this game is unparalleled as well. Like it, like, just from a how do you capture a performance of an actor and render it realistically, this game has achieved something no game has achieved before it. Like, imagine, for instance, if L.A. Noir had this engine and, like, what that game would feel like if you could see it done that way. It'd be incredible. So it deserves all the acclaim it's getting for being a great idea, for being well executed. That said, I don't like the combat. Here's why. It always devolves into a melee a chaotic dodge fest. Although every time you do a boss fight, like an actual boss fight where you meet a new animal and basically have to destroy it, um, that's when the combat is the thing they promised, which is sort of the strategic and thoughtful, like picking a part of the animal and countering its moves and stuff. If it was that way in experience all the time, I would have said this is one of the best games ever made. Just that alone would have done that. But for, it doesn't. Anytime you have to fight two or more animals, it devolves into basically melee combat. Now, 
in their defense, melee combat is so much better in this game than it was in the first. They added so many things like destiny style supers and you can pick your favorite. Uh, they added all kinds of extra like combos and then ways to sort of set up a arrow explosion with your melee attack and stuff. So there's a lot of cool stuff they did to mitigate that. But the truth of the matter is it's not that great of a melee combat game. And I don't think it ever will be like the idea isn't great for melee combat. Um, so other concerns I have that I don't want to spend forever on, but one of them is Aloy. Jason perfectly described Aloy, I think. She is kind of an asshole. She is a little bit uh, condescending. And for me, although we did soften her toward the end, and I think the, the addition of the beta character kind of made her grow some emotionally, and I think the developer knew that that was a problem and addressed it as a character arc, and I appreciated that. But... Um, I think Aloy is a problem character because I don't believe a person could have the insight into the way things work that she has. As in, like, I understand she has the focus and that, that gives her insight into how the world works, but she seems to retain none of the culture or tribe or world that she came from, and that pulls apart the sci-fi threads for me. Like, this person's not a person born of her time. And that troubles me because I think I would prefer her if she was like, if she didn't always mm. understand what was going on on like a macro level uh, and instead kind of struggled to figure it out, like say Varl did, I think I would like this. Well, game it's also better. hilarious. Yeah. Cause Varl will be like um, the great metal bird is kind right, to right. the tower and, she's in the like, east, and she'll be like, that's the modem fuck. reset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a sunwing dumb fuck. I'm going to take it. She's like, off um, it. all right, bro. The sunwing's sinking with the Bluetooth and yeah, <laughs> right. I'll just right. backdoor hack. And it. like, I'm not, I, and look, I, I understand why there needs to be an omniscient character because the designers don't want us to get so bogged down in the lore of the world that we can't tell the larger story. But like, in my opinion, I think that might be better for the larger story. Like, I'm not particularly enchanted with the Zeniths, but I do think they would have been cooler in the next game. Like, if we didn't even know there was a thing, in, like, this game could have just been about the Forbidden West and the problem with the plague and Regala, who was an excellent bad guy, who kind of gets shoved to the side once we find out who the real bad guys are. Spoiler, they're humans from a different planet that survived and came back here. I kind of feel like they sort of jammed a bunch of stuff together to make this feel like it's as important as Zero Dawn in terms of the world building. And I don't know if they needed to do that. Um, I think that might have been the wrong way to go with this. Like, it might be more fun on a smaller <laughs> level. I know you want to say a bunch of stuff. I know you do. So hold on. Let me make this last point. Uh, the last point is, and I know we're going to argue about it, I didn't connect to or care about the different tribes. Now, I'm, I am happy to hear Jason explain to me why I, that is ignorance on my part or why my brain didn't get it. I'm happy to. I really am because I wanted to. Um, I thought they looked cool. I thought their cultures were kind of shallow and based on dumb, sort of dumb extrapolations. And, like, none of these cultures are at all curious about the world they live in. And that doesn't seem true to me. Like, I just kind of felt like things were static culturally in a way that I don't buy and I know that's a high-level criticism, but it's a high-concept game, and it sort of invites those criticisms. Other than that, I thought it was amazing. That's my rant. Great. You were right about so much and wrong about stuff, Great. too. And Great. And will make for a very good episode. So we'll get on to that episode um, right after an ad break, which we have right now. Booyakasha! 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's Dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. And we're back from the ad break. Um, it's so game good. on. Game is, on. Is that how you're going to do it every time? In the, I hope he does. Yeah. I love it when he, I love when he commits to the idea. It's every time. <laughs> it's booyakasha all the way down. Game on is when uh, anyone can talk. We can, in, we can, we're allowed simultaneously. to interrupt and scream over each other. We all just rant simultaneously. There is too much. I could do two episodes about this game, I'm realizing. Um, so shit, where do we start? First of all, in reverse order, because it's fresh on my mind. I liked that. I think the plot is one of the, in, in terms of being a traditionally told open world video game plot. Yeah. I'm fully with Jason on it being one of the strongest in the history of gaming. Tell me why. I'm curious why. Because, and this is so hard in an open world game. Um, it's so much easier in a game like Deathloop. Uh, to tell a story that you walk away going, I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know this, you know this to be true in your heart. You play an open world game that's like 80 to 100 hours. Tell yeah. me you you don't walk away most of the time going, I followed the gist of the plot. Like, I understood the stakes, but 
I forgot big chunks in the middle of like Ghost of Tsushima, your Assassin's Creed's because it's just too long. It's too much for a human brain to retain. I was thinking about climbing around and stabbing stuff. And if I can get eight feathers to upgrade my thing, I forget like, oh, who's that guy again? Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. They're killing him for some reason. And it it did the best to mitigate that of any open world game I've ever played with a very, and the developers have talked about this, um, and it's not the only open world game to use this design, but I think it works so well, and you can contrast it with something like Cyberpunk, which doesn't do this, mm. and I feel like to its detriment. Um, they created a plot, so they, I'm just saying the plot is so smartly developed, <laughs> because every side quest comments upon either the theme or builds directly towards the events of the main plot. And the main plot is honestly felt inspired more by something like the Avengers uh, than anything else a little in bit. recent pop culture history. Yeah. It's like a slow assembling of all the main characters who are going to play key parts in the final event. And then through them, like the each character was the living embodiment of one leg of the plot. So you kept being reminded of, okay, this is going on. That's right. This is going on. I'm just saying I left the experience. I left the ride, so to speak, with a clearer idea of the plot in a this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and why, than almost any open world game I've ever played. And I liked the plot. If it was a movie, it would have been a good movie. And what they did in order to create, they did this Russian nesting doll thing where they said, that the uh, signal from the Zenus is actually what woke up Hades in the first game, which I don't know how many times you can pull that trick, but it works once. Like, to make that made the second game, you know, it's always a challenge when you have a series like this to say, right, but this time's the most important because this is happening. And I actually bought their reasoning behind that, that the Zenus signal is why Hades was awoken in the first place. I don't know how they'll do that for part three and how it'll always be true that whatever Aloy's up to is the most important it's ever been. Uh, but that's a problem all successful franchises like this have, right? Marvel has that problem. What's the next Thanos? What have you. But um, it, there were just so many ways in which I was like, smart game plan, just such a so smartly put together. So part of the issue with writing science fiction, like the first game, obviously these are science fiction stories. And the first game... When it starts, you have no idea why that world is the way it is. And then the, right. the story you're uncovering in that game. Now, I realize there's some people listening to this who have played the first one, but not the second one. So we are spoiling some things. But um, it, the, the mystery you're uncovering is what happened. And what you eventually wind up doing is you find out that Aloy's, her kind of mother in a way, um, sacrificed herself to as part of this project to preserve humanity after this apocalypse and robots took over. And it kind of brings together all of these themes about, you know, what's her responsibility to the world and what her mother sacrificed and what these, this previous generation, the mistakes they made and how things got like this. So there are several moments in that first game where it's kind of like, like a, a shocking twist, like the bottom falls out of the world where you realize it was this one stupid software mistake that ended civilization. Like it's this one thing where they didn't have a kill switch for the machines and that was it. And so they're like having these meetings where they are mapping out the scenarios like, Oh, we have like eight months left of civilization. It, like it, it can't be stopped. And so they have to start putting together this plan to try to preserve the species somehow. 
um, that all of that is revealed late in the game, and it's revealed through like these legitimately like shocking twists. Now, when you're writing a part two, you have the same problem they had when they tried to write a part two to The Matrix. The Matrix is its plot pivots around a gut punch twist when you realize the nature of the universe is not what you thought. Mm-hmm. So when you're writing part two, it's not just, okay, now we've got this universe, here's more stuff that happens, but rather we have to recreate the gut punch. Surprise me again, even though I was just surprised and I'm exactly. expecting a surprise. I agree. <laughs> yeah, right. I agree with that. that is incredibly difficult. I am saying this as a professional author of horror right. and sci-fi novels. that You're coming back and it's like you have to keep surprising people and so here, to spoil the story, and if you've not played the game, stop, play the game for 100 hours, and then re-unpause the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always have been, um, we always yeah. will be. To, the shocking twist is, because the whole thing with these games is you have this juxtaposition between these tribal societies and these robots that are incredibly advanced, like AIs and, and these machines, and these weird, like, people, you're shooting them with bows and arrows. And it's just, it's like, that's so bizarre that the humans are, like, at a tribal level. And these robots are clearly highly, highly advanced. So to create that similar, like, gut punch twist, you find out partway through this game. And they hid this in all of the trailers, all the promotional materials. It was part of the, it was banned from any reviews mentioning it. There's at this, this massive... time, uh, sorry, just in the lead up to this game being released was sort of my last weeks at working at IGN and I just want to say it was fascinating to behold the draconian severity with which uh, they would be like because we got codes for this game to play it early and they were like you cannot mention beta you cannot mention the word zenith you can't like if we see you tweeting anything that has the word zenith in it in the lead up to this game we will assume it's about Forbidden West, you know, like yes. they were very careful about the plot. You can see why game. they're very and important thank, to them. Yeah. Thank God, because yeah, when that agreed. happens, when suddenly, like you think you're at a point in the game where you think you're okay. I'm doing the stuff. I, I fought some machines. I'm retrieving the thing, and then oh, Hades is back. I got to stop Hades. Yeah, the the ceiling explodes. It in float down these people dressed like they're from the year four thousand, wearing like nanotech. Force fields, and they have superpowers, and they're unlike anything that exists in the universe, anything you've ever seen before. And you have a totally third different time period, and it turns out this is a group of rich people who escaped the planet a thousand years earlier, and called themselves the the Zeniths. And they basically have been they left, and now they've come back. But in while they've been gone, they've continued to advance. And it is just like for me, somebody who is totally bought into this game, this universe, that was a shocking shocking twist like they have these robot minions that you cannot fight and they're totally different and weird and that you have to go running from them in a this blind panic because you can't stand up to them your weapons don't do anything it is just totally turns over the table so when they sit down to write horizon zero dawn three which has probably already done God, how many different they, kinds of robots that fundamentally feel different can you come up with it's amazing because you're right. The Pharaoh robots feel different than the Zenith Specter robots. They feel like designed differently, uh, yeah. and I don't know how you but just they, keep topping yourself. But they feel related. I can think that's like sure. that's the kind of detail work that just briefly that makes the game special is that like yeah. those feel like robots that are two thousand years older, but based on the same idea. Anyway, sorry. Continue, yes. Jason. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, it's just when they sit down to write part three, they will start with what's the gut punch twist this time. That's how right. you start writing that story and then you right. build up around it because but it has to be there or at least they've decided it has to be there because if right. not, they don't just want it to be, okay, it's, we're just hunting more robots for another hundred hours. Like it's not, they, they will feel like that's not enough. It's got to be taken to some other level. Now for me personally, if they had just kept releasing DLC for Horizon Zero Dawn that was just me doing more stuff, I would have been fine with that. But for people who take the writing as seriously as these guys clearly do, because they could easily have just written a bunch more missions in that universe, but trying to come up with a whole different layer of the lore, a new set of enemies, a new terms of what you're trying to do and what, how you define defeat and success... Uh, I, I, a lot of people do not like the story. Like the fact that it takes such a hard turn into like hard, like sci-fi, like a weirdly sci-fi. You have people from, you went to another star and came back and they're a thousand years old and they never age. Like a lot of people that turn people off because it is a different tone. But I think if you're, if you're a writer who kind of values creativity and trying to, like that you are going to try to challenge yourself. So I, I will never like discourage that. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I, mean, I understand that's, that totally perfectly makes sense. I just sense. wanted to see silence uh, get got. Well, and that's the problem. Plot armor. Silence and Regala are both. <laughs> and I say that as a Lance Reddick fan. Don't right. get me wrong. Yeah. Silence and Regala as characters. Great. Well, mm. yeah, but they both get shoved to the one side because of the Zenith thing. You know what I mean? Like, and that's so I agree. Tilda with what, emerges as the thing at the end. Right. Yeah. And I agree with what Jason said, that if we're trying to create the same experience in a sequel, which is what a lot of sequels do, that the first game had, you have to have a twist. My argument is that I think Horizon would be better served to not feel like it needs to create the same kind of plot and embrace some of the loose tendrils that they've sort of put into this world and uh, and just go with them. Like, for instance, one interesting idea that they kind of threw out there but then dismissed very handily in the first act is the idea that Aloy is now a supernatural figure to the people who uh, she saved in the first uh, game, and they kind of want her to be, like, queen of that world. You know what I mean? And, like, that's a whole thing that would have been interesting for her to have to deal with. While she's still trying to play cleanup, they're like, yeah, but we want you to be the queen and, like, all this other stuff, right? Like... And I'm not saying that's a better story. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't always have to go into, and then here's the worst bad, because the end of this game foreshadows a worse bad at the end of uh, that you're going to face in the third game, whenever that happens. And that's the part where I started to feel like, hmm, maybe this story is not going to be that meaningful. Um, you know I, mean? I do because think I'll start to get fatigue if that's the goal. That's if my the thing yeah. is every time, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But I do. But no one's found a way to fix that. Like well, Marvel, I, that's like why I said, Star Wars has this problem. Marvel has this problem. Um, that's why. Not that, not that we shouldn't strive to solve it. But um, I will say it, you're allowed one. <laughs> or like, yeah, totally. Because because Absolutely. it's only the second beat. I'm, I'm fine with it. You're right that Nemesis. Yeah. If they keep trying to do this, like and then outside that, there's a bigger box and outside that there's a bigger box. The, of story and outside that there's a bigger story that will like you that's, can only go so far that's not that. great yes and so no, it's not great i'm gonna go to one of my favorite sequels of all time empire strikes back empire strikes back did the opposite thing instead of making the conflict of that story gigantic like let's do another death star which is what the third one did they were like let's tell a more intimate story with the main characters 
And I think mm-hmm. that they had that here. I think that the Sun King of Odd is an interesting character they totally left behind. Um, I think the Tanakh chieftain, whose name just flew right out of my head, but he was fantastic. Um, and the Regala story was also interesting. Like, I just think that they're in such a hurry to, we got to do more of the big world sci-fi stuff. Well, you're not an errand, bro? You don't love errand? No, I He's like him too. Bros, bro. I like him too. Well, I don't like that he became comic relief. I, th- I was a little bit like, hey, man, sure. he, was, he was a more dignified character. Let's all settle down here. But in, like any, in any case, yeah, she was amazing. That's the thing. Like they have well, these cool people. Their seed, the whole seed pouch costume design. Yeah, the plain such a song great concept for a culture. It, it had a Star Trekky feel. I, right. See, I did. I did like the different tribes, not necessarily for the political machinations, but for the idea of like, because I love Star Trek. Like, oh, each tribe has a little thing. Ah, they wear the seed pouches. That's their cultural thing. I love that. It's like almost familiar to me. It's a video game thing too. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. they have to give you a shorthand. Painting shorthand's. little tribes yeah. with a broad brush. Like even Fallout. Yeah. I mean, New Vegas had the various But tribes. they get away with it by always using something that's recognizable today in a funny way. Like that's one mm-hmm. of the best things about Fallout. Whereas this is so far in the future that that's not really true. Or they're like, we're the Elvises or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I thought the Tanakh had a lot of potential and, and in some ways were really well executed. But then they sort of introduce you to them by like walking through their mythology and their mythology was very silly. Uh, I didn't care about the 10 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and it's but it's also like you're going to spend a lot of time caring about the 10 and they seem so uncurious about it. Uh, and so resolved for like I guess a thousand years on this mythology. That seems dumb to me. I don't believe that. Oh, uh, okay. Right? You have Just, listeners saying, "Have you heard of a thing called religion?" Yeah, and I, I'm I'm that, so ready yes, for that people, because that's not true. Pe- I'm so ready for that. Because people argument. do take like characters from mythology that were just badly misinterpreted, and they just add and add and add to it and build them up over time because it's what their culture needs. And yeah, like it, it's much. Uh, yeah, well, it's just that it's, of course, it's very, it's simplified in the way that, like, yeah, like Star Trek is. And there's an entire planet of blank. It's the hippie planet. It's the planet of hippies. And it's the entire tribe of, you know, these guys are all warriors or these right. guys are all farmers. Or the, and here, while well, he's talking about with the 10, people have not played the game. You have it, a tribe that's built their entire culture out of, they found this museum that had this cheesy like hologram, this like this military recruitment goofy hologram thing about these heroic ten soldiers, and they just saw that they have like fragments of it, and they've just built their own mythology around like oh these are the heroes of old who saved the world, and then you children must be like them, because ultimately that's what mythology is. It's a set Total of instructions for the next yeah, for absolutely. the next generation. And so it's like this minor dumb little thing that we see as like corny or whatever. That's something that's repeated throughout the game because you will find artifacts from the old world that they will find them and and it'll be like it'll be labeled ceremonial receptacle. But when you look at it, you recognize it as like this goofy coffee mug from like a tourist like a gift shop. Right. right. Or it'll say ancient wind chimes yes. and you're like, that's it's, someone's house keys. But yeah, it's car not, keys. They're not consistent with how they do that trope. And I don't want to like, I don't want to sit there and like, because you're saying like, I, yeah, here, yeah, here comes but I, Aloy. I know the nitpick, which is like, Aloy would know what it is. Therefore it should be labeled properly because it's her inventory. Right. right? Yes. And yeah. also as a person but, who studied, no, 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 no. As it's a, person, a game. 
Well, I'm sorry. So why does one person's opinion about what belongs to the game value more than others? Come on, man. No, no, I, I'm, no. I'm I think what I'm, I really think we need. What I'm doing is looking at the clock and wanting to talk about the mechanics that's fine. at some point because we're make, only discussing story. That's okay. I just want to make one counterpoint. As a person who studied religion extensively, uh, I think this is a little bit of a simplistic idea about how it arises. Not the one that Jason said, which is a little bit more robust, but the way the game deploys it. Again, I keep stressing this. Nobody in this game seems curious, and also Aloy is not time-bound enough to make it an interesting commentary on religion. That that's my and that's what they want to do. Very clearly, they wanted to do that, and as I just think, oh, it's a little shallow, mm. honestly. Uh, I don't know if they're commenting upon religion as much as just using the functionality of mythology. It's and they mytho- should it's of a, the mythologizing the, of events. And I think yeah, they yeah. should that works. be they should be a little more curious and adventurous about that if they want to explore. That's what bothers me about it. It's like, nah. It's a little bit, uh, but they want to talk about the Zenus and Beta and well, shit. Well, and I, really I keep telling you, into, that's why I don't think they a, should. That is exactly I'm why I don't think they should. Right there. That's just side shit that explains how their universe came to be. You know what I mean? Like, and my argument I don't know. is, that, I get your point. Is that uh, Star Trek itself is culturally reductive, and that point is absolutely valid. Right. So okay. I can't really push back. I don't want to waste forever on that. So we all heard it. We can all agree or disagree. That's right. Fine. You want to talk we about go the mechanics, like or right? any art where you go, well, the Klingons are the warrior race; they're all warriors. Is of course reductive. Yes, obviously, right, um, but and it, not true to life. And that's where I'm like, I think there is kind of room in this premise because I agree with Jason that I like this sci-fi premise of this so much. Like, I kind of wish they would get into the weeds of some of this a little bit more, and like actually make me care by flushing out some of these societies. I think they don't think that stuff matters enough. Like they're sort of split commitments on this. No, they're playing it. They're playing it safe in the sense that I, who am a weirdo who likes, you know, the indie side of the tracks, whatever your metaphor may be. uh, I will admit I, my enthusiasm went down as the act three solidified right. into what I must describe as a Marvel esque yeah. sort of storyline. Yes. Agreed. And also and I went, Oh, that's the direction they went with. Interesting. Not super hard, hard sci-fi, but like hard sci-fi that yields to big, exciting team adventure movie. And I was like, okay. And I think interesting choice. I, that makes that, sense. It makes total fiscal sense. <laughs> not only that, I think they cut some stuff from the end game. Yeah, because the entire game you're pushing your way toward the West Coast and you finally get there and you see the ocean like San Francisco, the ruins of the Golden Gate Bridge and all that. There's nothing to do over there. There's very few (laughs) missions over there. There's a couple of like relic missions. I think a lot of content once you reach because the game takes place heading west as per the name. By the way, was this like Death Stranding where the world map represented a compressed version of the United States? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you've got like Las Vegas is in. Yeah. You can is like a ten minute walk from San Francisco, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and it's it's just assumed that well we're we're mentally assuming that she traveled a great distance, but in reality it's yeah it's all it's yeah Hoover Dam everything represents something in the real world. But <laughs> right. so I so yeah thing. that that's all completely fair, and in effect the ending feels a little bit abrupt. Like you kind of I mean again I have a hundred and twelve hours in the game, so it's not you know. Um, but, but if you want to talk about the mechanics, which I, I know we're you're, we're trying to keep to a rigid schedule uh, per the iHeartRadio radio days, when do you have to throw to an ad break again? We don't even have to. I so Jay, I just think Jason, whatever you want to say, 
go for it. I want to hear it. I, seriously, anything you want to say on what we just talked about, I want to hear it. Uh, so, yeah. this game, the first thing that I should be talked about more is the most customizable game I've ever played. Hmm. In terms of, and it's when you go into the difficulty menu, it's not just easy, medium, hard. You've got a custom. And a lot of it is accessibility stuff. It's things like, do you not, like, does this bother you? It would Instead of having to hold this, would you rather just toggle it? And you, it lets you go through like a dozen different options for turning on and off how loot works. When adjusting how difficult the game is, if the thing you hate is that the enemies feel too, like, bullet spongy, you can turn just that down and leave everything else the same. Like, you're just as fragile, but it's just like I... I don't want to spend as much time and you can turn it all the way down to where everything dies in one hit. If you just want a tour of the game, which wow. some people will play it that way right. and love it. It's got an easy, it's got basically a story mode where you're just with one arrow will, will kill basically anything. And it's just, I don't want to mess with all that other stuff. I just want to enjoy Aloy interacting with all this stuff. I want to watch it like a big long movie. That's amazing. So, That's in the settings. Yeah. If I you didn't go to custom, Wow. Yeah, because you've got like easy, medium, hard, and if you click on custom, it expands out to a submenu of like a dozen different things. For example, if you don't like the thing where to gather, if you have to gather six, um, whatever, T-Rex testicles, it, <laughs> it, you can switch on easy loop mode. So instead of having to shoot its testicles off its body with a pinpoint shot, they're just there on its, like you can't accidentally destroy them. You just you collect them. them. Yeah. If you know, mm. if you find that annoying. Now I mm. like, I, I have so many hours in this game when you tell me that I need the tusks from the, the fangs from whatever they call their giant snake, I love shooting the fangs off of it. I love hiding, fang. getting in the bushes. <laughs> um, so for somebody like me... Tremor it, tusks is where you get the tusks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> somebody, somebody like me where I don't like... It's not that I don't like difficulty in games. I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. When somebody tells me they played Elden Ring and they had to fight a boss 30 times to beat it or 50 times or 200 times, it's like, I will never touch yeah. that with a 10-foot pole. It's I don't like Pong in, back in the day. Kept things fresh. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's like, I, I don't, I, I have a low frustration tolerance and I don't have that many hours in any one particular day sure. to play the game. I want to move on. So once I've seen the boss, I know how to beat it. Like, I know I have to hit this thing to kill it, but it's like, okay, I have to hit that thing 75 times. I, I've got the idea. I'm gonna I, let's just assume that if I if I tried hard enough, I could do that. And let's move on to the next thing. In this game, if you if there's one boss fight you don't like, you can go in, turn the settings down to nothing, kill it in one shot, turn the settings back where they were, and move on. I think they added that customization because they knew that the combat mechanics were flawed. Wow, what a point. because. Huh. Because what happened, I think, in playtesting, and it's the same thing with Aloy, like giving you a lot of instructions to basically solve every puzzle for you. I think there's something in playtesting they ran across, and I don't know what it was, but the issue is this game gives you a vast number of tools and ammunition types to kill things from a distance. Right. It also gives you traps. It gives you a bunch of it, it, you have you can have any kind of strategy you want in theory. When you actually fight the creatures, the AI, all of them do the same thing. They instantly close the distance to melee range. And they can do it in seemingly one frame of animation. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so you're in they bushes. Yeah. You're in bushes. You're kneeling down. You're, doing, you're playing stealth style, which is my thing. I love stealth, charging right. up a huge shot, using that range shot where you're kneeling down with the exploding arrows. 
and you hit it and you take off 80% of its damage and then it will be on top of me far b- before I can hit dodge or roll. Like you just, it's there. Right. So now it's a melee fight and your melee doesn't do any damage. It's, and it's, it collapses, like, it's like a collapsible series of concentric circles. Cause let's say basically every fight for me boiled down to, I'm trying to prevent melee for as long as possible. So you would do some traps they would hit the traps at the time, same time they hit the traps. You do a stealth strike or a, some kind of arrow. Then you shoot a couple arrows as they close the gap, and then they're on top of you. And once they're on top of you, You're just there's nothing them. to do yeah. but mash the button right. and do the very disconnected feeling spear attacks. Um, I I think where I differ from Adam is the solution that I foresaw is there were a few moments in the game where they had levels or areas laid out such that the environmental traps were perfectly it was almost like a puzzle room if you I know could what I mean. never like, make those work i for whatever reason oh, i could okay. never make those work i, I think the it's most badass i ever felt was when i would like glide into an area that happened to have a lot of environmental effects glide into that area fall on something zap something else shoot the logs shoot the barrels while the barrels in the air shoot it with lightning so it explodes then go crit hit that thing and those moments were so precious and few. That was my big missed. That's my big take, hot take for this whole episode <laughs> was like, why not more environmental traps that were cleverly placed in such a way that it invited interesting, innovative usages. Right. Uh, it, I just felt that was a big missed opportunity that's th- as far as spicing up the style of combat that's already on the table. I just want to say, like, I really appreciate the flexibility built into this game, like everything Jason laid out. First of all, the settings thing blows my mind. That would have changed my experience if I had, if I looked into that and done that. Cause there were a few times I died like five times and I was like, you know what? I don't like this enough to die eight times here. I just, you know, I want to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the game, but I think most people feel the way Jason feels that like the fun thing to do here is plot a strategy and like execute that strategy and bring it down. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you want to do, and the game won't let you really do that, except for when you finally get fully leveled up, then you have the experience that you sort of wanted to have the whole time. That's kind of how they chose to lay it out. Like, it's like being badass, hopping from yeah, target to target. Yeah, which yeah. is sort of what you... That's what you really want, and I guess it's okay to me that a designer's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to give you the thing that you want, but you have to earn it. In the meantime, you're going to struggle because that's what it—that's what these games are. That's what all games are. You, you have to learn how to master it, and it's like games are pain. Well, right. That's why we play games. That's why they're called play. It's like I'm going to be a guy later on, as or earlier, depending on when this episode releases, who was a big advocate for Elden Ring because I really liked it, and it's—I can't be a hypocrite here and say that the difficulty is a bad thing. You know what I mean? Because Elden Ring's much more difficult, but. I but I feel like it's a tedious thing when the thing I, the way I want to play the game is actually not immediately available to me. Like I Especially have to generic stuff. Sorry. When they clearly are promoting it and pushing it as you the whole fun is approaching it however you want, but especially early on, you are highly you will absolutely find yourself basically cheesing these fights, you like have getting to. to some yeah. spot behind a ridge, doing damage and then running away. Now, this game does something that I value highly in games. I loved it about the Batman, the Arkham games, which is it's a stealth game and the stealth provides tremendous benefits. Like if you sneak on something, you can do a one hit kill or you can take it over. 
um, another mechanic we've not talked about yet. But it's the type of stealth where I cannot tolerate stealth games where if you get caught, then it's just comes up game over retry. Okay. Like kicks you back oh, to oh, this. Oh, you like that it proceeds. Okay. This is the type of game where stealth has tremendous benefits, but if you get caught, your punishment is you have to kill everybody and you can do it. <laughs> it, it, it just, it, it, it creates these wonderful panic moments where it's not panic. Like, Oh, I have to do all that again. Oh God, I got to sneak up that yeah. ladder. I yeah, got to yeah, crawl yeah. through the thing. No, it's, it's like, Oh my God, the entire compound knows I'm here. There's 27 guys coming at me. And in this game, except for very specific levels, like in the dungeons slash cauldrons, you can run away from any fight. You can get, you can bite off something that's more than you can chew. You can hit a creature that's bigger than anything you've seen before. You don't know what's attacked. Suddenly it has launched a, an orbital satellite that is following you around and hitting <laughs> you with lasers. That you can run away. And if you run away long enough, it will not chase you. The creatures are territorial in this game. So you can reset any fight. No matter how wrong it goes, you can run your ass out of there, go collect a bunch of healing plants off the ground, go recraft mm-hmm. a bunch of arrows. And reapproach it. It doesn't lock you in a room again, except for in very specific circumstances, boss fights, things like that. So, like anything you run into, you can get away from. You can rethink it if that approach was wrong, and if you just stay away for a moment, they'll forget about you. Not realistic, but that's you know according to video game rules, where they will forget you are ever there, even though you just killed eight people. They four minutes later, they're like, ah, oh, well, I guess that's over. Right. Um, yeah. So it's it, it does a lot of things that to kind of help you around what I think is some stuff they know maybe doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And like the, as it should be right. Yeah. Right. And like my favorite weapon from the first game was the rope caster. Cause you have yeah. to use it. You, you, you hit like four ropes on a thing and now it bogs it down. You can go do a critical hit, get away, take care of something else while it's trying to get off its ropes. Well, in this game, it just doesn't work that they can, they can still just jump on you even though they're tied down. Like I just, couldn't use it. Yeah, but they have it, the Highlightron discs now. I like the uh, yeah, uh, bo- which the, is the bolt blaster, for, which is sort of a shotgun to to counter. I like the that. finger banger. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, what? Yeah. Did you just make that up? <laughs> hey, it's time for another ad break here on One Upsmanship. Um, I'm sorry to cut it short, man. We really could. I feel like we could do a three-hour in-depth special on Horizon Forbidden West. Because there's much more to discuss, but we do have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have to get our final thoughts in before we determine whether this game makes the Celestial Hard Drive. Stick around for that after this. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, guys. I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? 
so he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Oh, I forgot to do the thing where I reversed the sound. <laughs> oh, well, but we're back. <laughs> that was, it's that was your running bit, and it lasted yeah, exactly my once. One job. That was my one job. Um, I'm too engrossed <laughs> in the conversation, y'all. But uh, this is our ultimate section, keep or delete. I'm going to fudge it and say let's also get some final words in edgewise because okay. there's just too, too much to discuss. Yeah. Um, but this is where we basically say on a celestial hard drive, we've we've since codified this, right? So, Adam, help me out. There's 100? Th- there's room th- for 100 games? Yeah, I think that's what we decided, 100 games, and uh, we have updated it so that it says – We've we've rectified some of the sins of the past, but we still haven't filled our first hundred. No. When it fills, yeah. we will have to start knocking stuff off. Right. But for now, um, there's still room for fresh games on there. Does this deserve to be on a celestial hard drive that can only, in theory, hold a hundred games of all the video games ever made? That is supposed to represent an almanac of like, here you go. This is video games. These are the important ones to know. Uh, you know, however you measure that rubric. But I'll start. I'll just say. I have notes I want to rattle off because I didn't get them in in the episode. Climbing up stuff and then gliding off of it should be in every open world game. Yes, <laughs> I'm it should. glad it did that. Yes. Um, I rarely, like really rarely, changed my outfit or even my weapon loadout once I had everything fully upgraded and a full complement of weapons. And I wish I had more of an incentive to play with more different uh, loadouts. It just felt like there was no reason to. I did feel like I got the system that worked and I just did it over and over, which is my biggest gripe with the whole game is that combat ultimately seemed so there were so many options on the table, but in reality and the practice of it, I only use two or three things always. I have Um, this complaint about every game I play, by the way, I think no open world game that exists. And maybe you guys will say Elden Ring does it well, but I think Tsushima did it well. 
it, it, but even there, like it, that game seemed to act like it wanted me to change my outfit based on the situation. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. It's like, well, this is your traveling outfit and this is your stealth outfit. That's and true. this is your That's bow and true. arrow outfit. It's like, that I'm not. Problem. And the same thing where the, <laughs> the economy of how you upgrade things, like in this game, it's like, well, gather four trimmer tusk tusks, which will mean traveling around the entire world and several yeah. extensive battles. And this will make your arrows literally 2% better. It's like that's not worth it. Right. It's it's the same thing. I said right. the same thing about God of War. Pick the best games of all time. The upgrade. I think Borderlands now has this problem where the upgrade economy doesn't really quite make sense because there's such diminishing returns, and they want you to continually be have a reason to continually be finding things. But it can't be that big of an upgrade, or else it would break the gameplay because you would very quickly have a bow and arrow that kills right. everything in one shot. Of course, and you'd never. It's why, and I, and I think it's one of those almost unsolvable problems. Every game tries it a different way, but they—I don't think anything does it perfect. I think the best version of that so far is when they decide outfits are purely aesthetic. Like when they do that, you're more incentivized to just change things up because it's fun. I like that. Yeah, yeah I do too. Fun. Anytime there's play. stats attached to the outfit, you end up getting locked into something, including Elden Ring, by the way. I, I got my outfit in Elden Ring pretty early, and I was like, yeah. I'm not changing it. Um, um, my last note is that I hate the system where it requires three buttons on the D-pad in order to n- laboriously navigate through 50 different potential items you could use and then press the Oh, I just the didn't use those items. I, I just, the, like, the potions, I just didn't use them. That's I, it's amazing. Like I don't, I, Right, it's such yeah. a weird, which means which speaks to some kind of clutter. Or it's over, a bad piece of UI that over design because you're skipping. You can't. It's difficult to drop things off there, so you're skipping past stuff you never use. Yeah, and exactly. it, no, it, it was apparently um, it, very very strange. Apparently, you can customize that so that it doesn't include items you don't want. I didn't find that out until you, I was googling it after I finished the game. It definitely doesn't make it obvious, yeah. but it, it's kind of a pain in the ass too. It's like take several button presses. You right. have to go one one by one by one, and you can't like reorder stuff. It's not intuitive at all. I, but it's another thing where I don't know if it was left over from the first game, and they just didn't know what to do with it. But I I, I can prove you can beat the entire game and play it for 112 hours without using anything over there. <laughs> yes, I I do. All right, I, so I do want to say I think that the the oh. inner hold on a minute the interface stuff that they did with that, even though there's too many options, they, they really streamlined how it looks and whether it intrudes on the game experience or not. And that was cool. Sorry. I love the thing where you can just craft arrows on the fly. Yeah, it's, it's from amazing. The first game too. Yeah, like so you good. don't even have to leave the main, you don't have to go to a menu. You just do it totally while you're running while, while you're shooting, you can do it. Totally. It's great. Sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I had nothing to say. I'm deleting it. Those are oh, all my you're thoughts, deleting though. it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm really surprised by that. Really? Yeah, you're going to delete this game. Interesting. After the tenor of the whole episode? Well, I thought that... <laughs> see, I thought I was being uh, relatively hard on it. I, th- I think something has to... I want to say for the record that it was incredibly close. Very, yeah. very close to a keep. Yeah. But I think a keep has a special auspicious vibe to it that I'm not getting off of this game, ultimately. That's amazing. At the end of the day. Okay. Yeah. Very close. 90% of the way to a keep for me. Okay. What about you? Uh, well, I think maybe Jason should go, right? Am I wrong? Oh, I, I can't, I can't think of twenty games I would keep over this. Yeah, it's pretty predictable. Perfect, perfect. Well, I just yeah. want. I, I think it's, I think it's a legitimate like achievement. I think it's a technical achievement. I think everything, oh. the, the way everything came together, the art, the voice work, all, everything they did, that it took this many people to make that long, and then it all works 
this well. Like we've not even mentioned Ashley Birch's performance yeah, as Aloy. She was, she Aloy, was great. Who is also Tiny Tina in Borderlands. She is having um, a hell of a career, hell of a year. Yeah, hell of a career right now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, but this game again, no one should, no one should take their purchase decision based on how much I liked it. Listen to what we said. It does do these turnoffs sound like they would be an experience ruiner for you? But honestly, if you own a PlayStation Five, what else are you going to get? Like that, that is truly a looks that feels like a next gen game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, know. but you don't need a. PS5 I'm, I'm assuming that. everybody's got oh, 200 hours in Elden Ring. It's already. even prettier than Elden Ring. Oh, yeah. way prettier. It's, it's prettier. not close. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. close. This yeah. this is the best looking game ever right now like it, it's I still think the last of us too okay that's sure that's a discussion or red dead redemption 2 is another one but it's those a, are discussions or or rdr yeah but it's a discussion yeah and it's not the discussion we're having adam are you keeping or deleting this game I, so i i do want to make one point that explains this a little more so the problem one of the biggest problems i have with this game that we didn't talk about is the fact that it's sort of putting all the mechanics that you kind of liked from other games into one experience, which is a thing we've argued about, about Grand Theft Auto V, that that's a bad thing. Um, so he's deleting I am it. deleting it. Yes, I am. <laughs> but, so this game is taking a lot from Assassin's Creed and from the Batman games and from just a lot of those sort of third-person action genres and sort of mashing it together and doing a good version of all of them. But it becomes very overwhelming because it's like, here's all the games you like in this one package. Uh, with this one skin and I think that trend in gaming is becoming counterproductive and I think this game actually is a proof for why it's good and why it's bad because it's uh, it creates this experience where it's like yeah I got to play for 100 hours and get all the you know mount races done so I can get this one upgrade thing to make my stick a little bit more I powerful. love those races sure I thought the races I like them too fun. you know what I mean but also like what isn't in Horizon Forbidden West really you know what I mean? Like, that's the question, I think. Fishing. Isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you no, do. You, 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 you got to grab them with your bare hands. Right. Exactly. You grab them. You just grab them up. I don't think games should be all games. Like, I don't think AAA games should be all games. I think they should lean into this is what this game is. Um, that's a personal opinion. Some people might disagree with it. I think that's a bad trend in gaming, and that's one problem this game has. <laughs> Even though I think it was an interesting area to explore, but I feel like it's been enough of that. Yeah, I'm ready to for more curated. I agree. Shorter. I opined about this on a recent episode. Yeah, I I think games could also be shorter, and I don't think that would be a problem. um, Mm -hmm. For to a degree, but like the last game we spoke about when I was on here was Resident Evil Village, which was very short. The fact that that game and this game are the same price. Hmm. Is uh, like good point. It, it, that that game should have been five dollars compared. If you take the amount of just stuff, not not even just hours of, of play, but just 12, everything 15. about it. Um, yeah, yeah it should point. not like the amount of game you get and the amount of experience and everything with the world, the characters, everything they put into it. It is crazy that you know because I I think I felt like I had gotten everything that could be gotten out of Resident Evil Village in like ten hours. That's. I mean, that's about how long it takes to run all the way through it. Anyway, it is. A, it is a little unfair that this game costs the same as Resident Evil Village, mm-hmm. and I liked Resident Evil Village. Um, I might have had more fun playing it than I had playing this game, quite frankly. But this game is much more of an achievement. There's no question. You know, it takes about ten hours to experience, and is creepy art, and is probably more coherent than the plot of Resident Evil Village. I can't confirm, but I have to. Th- I have to assume so. 
Jason's new book. Jason, why don't you tell everyone about your new book? <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with One that. more time before we get out of here. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, since I was, uh, I jettisoned myself from Cracked, I'm a full-time author now. So, yeah, Hell the yeah. book that is up for pre-order comes out this go, fall. Man, it is far enough away that if you order it now, you will forget about it. And then in October, it'll be like a gift you got for yourself. you like, what is this? I don't remember ordering anything from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or whatever. And it will be my book. Um, if you have not read any of my books, they're all out there. Just Google my name. Um, I've written this how many have I written? Five, something like that. So this will be the sixth, but any of them can be re- not really. It's all just a blur. <laughs> it's all a blur in my mind, um, but they can be read in any order. These, these are, this is not a game of Thrones thing where if, if you jump in on book three, you're going to be, be totally lost. It's they, they are independent stories that are all, they feature the same characters, but they are self-contained. If you have read one of the other books and you realize you started with, book two titled this book is full of spiders and you're like wow that was incredibly confusing i promise you reading the first one will not help you it's that's just the way they are you are firmly in the wrong Mm. universe and there is no escape for you sorry you're aware of the book now that it's done this is your title yeah the title if this book exists you're in the wrong universe just yeah search for it anyway very cut and dried transaction uh thank you so much jason it has been a real pleasure. Always good to catch up with you. Uh, uh, until next time when we shit upon another of your favorite games. <laughs> That'll be a blast. No, but I'm so glad. Do the listeners that, like it when you disagree, or they do they get upset when you disagree? They like to get invested. Let us know in chat. Do you like it when we disagree? I think they get invested in their own opinion, and they like it when Oh, when you agree with them. Ah. Yeah. I also So will, they hate one of us. Right, right. I would never bring a guest on uh, who didn't like the game if I knew that I uh, loved the game, because I think that would be a bad experience for the guest. Dynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like, yeah, I just think it, you have to operate in some good faith with that, where it's like, it's more fun when there's some disagreement where the guest doesn't feel ambushed, you know, and the guest shouldn't have to hate on the game the whole time either. Anyway, those those are podcast philosophies from Adam Ganser. Great. We did it. <laughs> okay, bye. We're complete. What's you know, you still don't have like a catchphrase that signals the end of the show? You got no. for the iHeartRadio era. I did it. Been, I said we're complete. It's only been a That's couple years. Thing. We'll get it one day. We're complete. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. 
whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.